0: hello and welcome to the do one better podcast in philanthropy sustainability and social entrepreneurship i'm your host alberto oligi from london please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already and do leave us a rating and a review it helps others to find the show as well today it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Gemma mortensen founder and co-creator of new constellations New Constellations is about big ideas and bringing people together to tackle the challenges our world faces in new and unconventional ways. They create experimental spaces for people to examine the moment of upheaval we're living through right now and to imagine and begin shaping the better futures that can emerge from it, where humanity and the planet flourish together. So if you're into big thinking unconventional thinking that is unconstrained by preconceptions and focuses on what new and great can look like, then you'll very much enjoy today's episode. So without further ado, Gemma, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today.
1: Thank you, Alberto. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Excellent. Well, it's good to see you. You are both the founder and co-creator of New Constellations. And as we were talking about a little bit earlier, New Constellations is a different sort of outfit than a straightforward foundation or social enterprise or social purpose-driven outfit. What is New Constellations all about? How would you describe it?
1: Um, So we say that New Constellations was set up to help people begin to imagine and then create um, futures of human and planetary flourishing. So it begins in a recognition that we're in this epochal moment in history, at which humanity is um, awakening to the realisation that we are starting to outstrip and be in conflict with the living systems of the planet of which we are um, an, an inextricable part. And um, and that, that is causing us to um, reflect in a much deeper way than we have um, certainly probably since, you know, the last big moment of kind of intellectual and spiritual reckoning on on such a grand scale, whether, you know, probably the rena- Renaissance um uh thinking around the industrial revolution to say you know what does it mean to be human in this in this moment um what are the systems that we're living in that we've created that we thought served the purpose of humanity that we're now learning don't actually and nor do they serve the purposes and interests of the planet and so how do we rethink that and obviously that's a huge huge question it's the question and um these are questions that typically um you know exist in um, communities of faith, or you know, these are these are these are big, deep things, and um, we, uh, the the group of us that set up New Constellations, very much believe that um, we can't meet this moment in time, what we're facing at this e- epochal moment of history, unless we create spaces where many different kinds of people um, from different backgrounds and different um, professional expertise can come together and explore those and ask. Um, You know, the simple but very perplexing question of what is it going on? What are we facing truly, deeply? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for our children and our future um, descendants? What does it mean for the planet? And how can we be honest about the depth and scale of transformation um, that's needed in almost every aspect of the way that we live? Um, and how do we start thinking about how to bring those about? Because that's a you know huge, complex and daunting task. So New Constellations, um, it, you're right, it isn't a normal kind of organization. I would describe it as a platform which brings together uh, people, different ideas, um, in uh, through quite kind of intense and immersive experiences to go on journeys of exploration and discovery to inquire into these big questions of our times.
0: I love it. And yeah, big, ambitious questions and ways of thinking. I'm a huge fan of philosophy, uh, whether we have free will, uh, whether we live in a deterministic universe, uh, some of the big physics questions as well. I'm drawn to the sort of stuff you're doing just because of my my internal uh, curiosities as well. So I love the ambition and I love the, the big, big thinking. Uh, sometimes it's difficult, right, to figure out where to start, to make sure that you at least focus on something. Um, give us a little bit of insight into what this looks like in practice. And I think you touched a little bit about convening and, and getting uh, creating spaces for, for people to exchange ideas, but where do you even start tackling what you've just described and what does it look like?
1: Um, well, I think you're right. This is, it, it is hard to ground this stuff. And I think one of the problems with it is that it's so daunting and huge that often we run away from it and we don't start. So what we we did, we spent a couple of years doing some really deep research, talking to lots of people, um, uh, drawing on many many different fields of ideas and I love the fact that you mentioned both philosophy and physics because I think this is a moment um when we do really need to rethink the way that these disciplines come together one of the people whose work we've draw, drawn on a lot um a man called Bill, Sh- Bill Sharp um who came up with something called the three horizons model which if you haven't uh, discovered is is really excellent I, I to your I said that to your kind of listeners um, it's a way of thinking about the past, the present and the future and what we're facing and he talks a lot about how um we're moving on from a kind of Newtonian era and um and how we need to open ourselves up to new to new understandings of our consciousness of our intelligence of um you know what it means to blend the philosophical and the physical in many ways um so, you know how then do you move from the altitude of things which are quite lofty and big into things that are grounded and applicable and practical and the and the way that we've done that following this period of research was to come up with this methodology we call it the journey and it's based um it's based on uh, it's a bit well. We we work with them um, a um, psychoanalyst who told us that what it is is an odyssey experience, and I'm sure um, you know many people will be f- will be familiar with the odyssey journey. But it's it's a methodology that enables people to go into a deep reflective space about what it is that we're living through at the moment, where that's come from. Obviously, the present is a manifestation of all the accretions of actions of the past, and to look at how we're all you know complicit and responsible for that in good ways and bad ways you know that's and and that's okay that's part of um the process of acknowledging where we are looking at how we move through that how we move beyond it how we open ourselves up to very new and different possibilities and understand that this is a moment of deep radical upheaval. And many of the tools that we've been taught about how to navigate a predictable and linear world just don't work anymore. So what's the tool set? We, you know, we talk about navigational tools in New Constellations. What's the tool set that we need to navigate this radical upheaval? And it's it's a very different set of skills. So we talk about, yes, the importance of intellect and logic and data, but we also talk about the importance of, of, of our intuitive intelligence at all as well and how we tune into that. So it's a very holistic multidisciplinary kind of journey. And then we then um, enable people to, uh, we call them kind of glimmers of the future, but having looked at what's the value set that our current systems are based in. um, And I think that's very important to look at that values level. We then say, well, what might be some of the alternatives? What might it look like for us to create an economy or a political system or um, a, a concept of work that was truly rooted in values of human but also planetary th- thriving so that we come back into harmony with the other living systems of the planet what might that look like and we give people concrete examples of thinkers we say thinkers makers or doers who are either and um, coming up with the theories and the concepts of what that might look like or who are ge- genuinely beginning to manifest that in practice And then we help people um, arrive at their own set of um, values or principles that they wish to guide their life life by, whether personally or professionally in this time of upheaval. Um, And, you know, again, as navigational tools and uh, support them in looking at what their own pathway is forward. How are they going to chart a new course, um, breaking um, free in some ways of the logic of the old systems that are no longer serving us and embracing and exploring something that may... um, uh, ground us in a in a more beautiful future, and um, we very much see that as a journey. You know, in the methodology we use, it, a lot of it is a metaphor. It's quite dreamy. Um, it's it's quite archetypal. Deliberately, this is about storytelling and exploration as much as anything else. And um, it's a journey from our own shores out to sea to discover new sets of stars and possibilities, but very much back home to the shore that we left because it, it, it's important that this recognises that the work that we all have to do is, you know, back home, you know, back where, back where we are, back in place. And so the journeys that we run, we do so in three main areas. So we get groups of people together to go through this process. It It, it either takes place really intensively let's say over a week or we break it up into stages so we've run it over a year with a group of leaders for example um but we bring small groups together groups of about 15 people so that the bonds between them are very deep um and uh and we do that um for people in a particular place so in a in a city or a, or a town um for people who in some way have a relationship to a particular system. So that might be the finance system or the economy or the food and agriculture system, you know, you could look at many different kinds of system and the transformation that's needed. And then we also look at leadership journeys. So people who um, are in positions of um, influence, whose own leadership can make a difference to the times in which we're living in and to help them, um, you know, go through this um, journey of exploration, primarily, you know, for themselves as a as more of a kind of personal odyssey, um, so yeah, that's how it works.
0: Excellent. So, big question, big aspiration, and then on top of it, the description of what you do is also big
1: <laughs> yeah. and
0: ambitious, and ambitious as well, which is great. Uh, I, I, you know, I told you when we spoke a, a while back, you remind me a little bit of the uh, of partners for a new economy, uh, yeah. which also thinks quite creatively about thinking out, you know, stepping back, thinking outside the box. And what could the world look like? What could these systems look like? Uh, but by your description, you, you are different. Let me ask you a little bit about the, um, the groups that you convene. And you, you mentioned they might be tied around specific geographic areas or, or uh, functions, thematic areas. Um, I can see how anybody could benefit from something like this, any individual. However, I imagine if your objective is to transform our world, perhaps you have a focus on those more consequential individuals, the ones who might be leading policy or or holding purse strings that lead to funding? Or is that the case? Are You, you, you use the word leaders as well. Are you focused on the leaders of our community and uh, in different functions?
1: That is a really good question. And I guess the question that I'd put back to you is what is a leader in that context, right? And um, in some ways that That is one of the things that um, we're forced to rethink and reconsider. So um, when you take the journeys that we run in place, what we do, um, uh, colleagues of mine do this brilliantly, is kind of map a place. So we would look first at where are the nodes of quite quite formal power, who runs the institutions that um, you you would recognise and say these are kind of powerful institutions in a place that might be, the local government it might be um, the university it might be the chamber of commerce it might be the biggest company in the town whatever it is and we and we very much try and have um, leaders of those organizations in the room recognizing that that kind of formal power is important but one of the things that we believe very strongly is that um, the days of kind of like elite machinations divorced and very separate from Um, the civic populace the civic body that has been part of the problem and uh and so how do we create groups whereby very different kinds of lived experience very different kinds of um backgrounds of perspectives are are in the room and very different kinds of actually um kinds of power so we also when we we go through a very meticulous process of of um of selecting these groups. Uh, we ask people to take um, a, a quiz uh, designed by an organization called More in Common, of which uh, I'm uh, the chair. Uh, and what More in Common's research does is, is kind of give help people understand how they see the world in relationship to other people. And so this quiz is very, very helpful because it helps us ensure that within that group, we've not only got people who are demographically different from each other, not only different in terms of representing different sectors, different walks of life, but are ideologically different from each other. Because one of the things that I believe very, very strongly is needed at the moment is if we are going to think radically different about what's needed now, to not only meet the challenges, which are existential, that we face, but to um, go beyond that and say, um, in the disintegration of things comes the opportunity of the rebirth of something beautiful, if we let ourselves believe that that is possible. Um, But that is only going to happen if how we envision and what we envision bridges between people, you know, different tribes, as it were, in society rather than locks us all in you know, the silos of homogeneity of, of people who are like us. And so one of the things that, the, um, uh, that people who've been on these journeys say that they most appreciate and has been most unusual in the experience is the fact that these groups are of people who are really so different from each other. And what is so beautiful, I think maybe perhaps the thing I find most beautiful about these experiences, and they're very emotional, they're very moving, um, Is that um, you would think that people would dream and desire very different things and that there would be conflict in what people come up with but when you get right back down to that root level what people are seeing and what is wrong and what's going on in this moment is very similar and what people want to see in their futures particularly for their children and their grandchildren is remarkably and powerfully similar and that for me it's hugely inspiring
0: yeah i think absolutely right the common denominators that that bond us are are much much stronger than than we give them credit for and oftentimes you know the headlines maybe they need a little bit of tension and conflict in order to in order to sell um it's interesting you asked about who is a leader and and my question to you about that was who are the policy, you know, are, are the policymakers are the people who have the resources, the people who have that power, uh, that ostensible power of, of resources and being able to mobilize policy. However, a leader can be anyone, right. Right. And in our society and in our, in the do one better podcast, for instance, I'm not dogmatic at all about how people are enthused or informed or where they are, what they do. I just care that somehow they'll get something out of this conversation. And, and, and whoever it is, wherever they are, actually takes action, does something. Um, I remember a while back when I was running a foundation, I wanted to figure out what a new initiative might look like. And, uh, and we organized a focus group. And it wasn't a focus group of just the great and the good of that community. It actually, we had a teacher, we had a parent, we had a musician, we had, and they were just, and as a small group, but I was really taken aback by the insights that came from some of the most unexpected quarters. And I think what your your approach there is great. However, let me ask you, in order to keep your sanity, in order to be able to run an organization that's somewhat cohesive and, and moving in a specific direction, when you say you map out specific areas and try to identify who those individuals would be to come on, and it's probably... My conjecture is it's not as straightforward as you just sending an email to somebody saying, would you like to come? And I don't know if it's through word of mouth. I don't know. How is it that people find out about you? Um, And perhaps without being indiscreet, maybe you could characterize what a cohort looks like. So who are some of these people without going into the names or the titles, but help us understand who the people are in actual fact, who are in these convenings?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so yeah. Again, kind of good question, and um, yeah, I really like maybe just picking up on what you just said from you know your own reflections on on what leadership is. It reminded me I was speaking yesterday um, with uh, an amazing uh, woman, um, social innovator called Hilary Cotton, with who we do with whom we do uh, a fair amount of work. Who who I highly recommend you to get on the podcast. I will introduce okay. you. Okay, duly noted. She uh, she's doing incredible work, like rethinking work, actually, and she has a um, she has a methodology which is very kind of complementary to New Constellations in that she works with people doing um, very different kinds of jobs in places uh, that are typically economically deprived um, in the UK. But she's also been doing a lot of work recently in the US. And so that might be gig workers. It might be people working in the care system, um, lots of different lots of different kind of workers. And um, what what she said is that one of the strong patterns of feedback that's coming back from the, these, um, these kind of circles that she's working in is that people aren't waiting for this, the state or the um, elite leaders to come and run over the hill and save them. There's a recognition that the way things change is people rolling up their sleeves and making something different happen. And um, uh, if that is the case, which I think it is, and it, and it has to be, then um the actually you know the ideas are going to come bottom up the, the the seeds of new thinking the seeds of doing things differently are going to come bottom up so that has to be in the room in a way that's the most important thing to be in the room and the question then is how are those with conventional power also in the room so that they can be opened and more receptive to those new ideas coming up through the system? Um, and what's there for a different kind of relationship or conversation between them? Um, and that that, you know, I think that is beginning to happen. I think there's a real interest from um from governments and uh from policymakers to to start trying things differently because they know they don't have all the answers and they can't um from, from the vantage point at which they sit. Um so, in terms of um, can we just write a letter to somebody and uh I have been amazed at the extent to which um, people, even if they don't know why, have either been told about new constellations or um, received something from us, looked at the website, said, that's kind of weird. Doesn't look like anything else I've ever seen, but I want (laughs) And I think that is something to do with like deep down, whether subconsciously or consciously, people need this conversation. Like there is there every the the extent to which there is a disquiet, a a a, a knowing at the gravity of what we're facing and an understanding that we have to think dramatically different about how we go about things, that is there in people, and there is very little outlet for it. So when people are given an opportunity to come and explore this and come and explore it in a safe and held space, where they can be themselves they can throw off their job title and they can truly come as them with a group of other fascinating kind of people who are very unlike them people say yes i i don't like a couple of people who've said no thanks um but very very few and what we actually do is we make sure that people apply to come on this because it has to be something that you choose to do and the the couple of occasions where that hasn't been the case it it hasn't worked so well because it's this is this asks a lot of people you know it's it's not a comfortable process It, it unravels a lot of the onion skins so so people yeah really do have to have to choose to do it but often people even if they don't really know why like jump jump feet first it's it's quite amazing
0: excellent what happens afterwards so what happens when these individuals yes great great hanging out great exchanging ideas great doing a bit of introspection and 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 looking at the world um but that was yesterday and you know how it is attention spans are so limited people only have 24 hours in the day life gets in the way right so how do you ensure that the all the fruitful stuff from that gathering doesn't just dissipate but actually is embraced is leveraged to the max and and benefits that individual and hopefully those other uh, members of the cohort right
1: yeah, yeah. Good question. And this is the bit, you know, I, I don't want to pretend we've got all the answers. This is a new thing. Like we're trying stuff out and it's definitely not perfect. And we're learning something, you know, every time we go. And I think what happens after is the bit that we're still learning the most about, I think probably at the moment, maybe, um, maybe just to pick up on the last bit that I didn't quite answer of your previous question, because it links to this, I can give you an example of what mm-hmm. we've gone on to do. So, let me take the example of the work we did in Sheffield. So who was in that crew, just to give you, we call it the crew because it's a crew of a boat going out. To, um, the people who are in that crew by roles rather than names. So we had the, the, the chief executive of the city. We had um, the leaders of the Chamber of Commerce. We had um, uh, people running university. Um, we had um, a sports coach. We had a disability activist. We had somebody running... Um, a really interesting ethical property company that um, helped um, people really at the kind of bottom of the socioeconomic of that not only access housing, but access services across the city. Um, we had somebody working with kind of like very frontline community health work. We had somebody, an incredible artistic director. We had also uh, somebody working on the housing association, looking at, you know, how do we insulate a whole city? So many people, so many different people and uh, we had the head of the student Union young young woman who extraordinary young women so lots and lots of different people and to that, I, I, I always feel bad if I haven't mentioned everyone because they're all in their own way deeply unique and special um and we've become incredibly attached to every single one of them anyway um that group for example um and and the same happens in Barrow and the same happens in the leadership cohort so, um in that, in, in the case of Sheffield, they have uh, become something called, I think, Sheffield in Common. And um, they it's a it's a loose affiliation. So rather than trying to become a kind of formal institution of the city, they've recognised that they're um, what's special about them, actually, is the fact that they come from you know all these different nodes and um, so I, you know, one of the other people in that crew was has just is now standing to be MP for a a part of Sheffield. So you've got people in the administrative centre, you've got people in political life, you've got people in the private sector, and they're all helping each other out on loads of different things. Um, somebody doing amazing stuff, regenerating property in an ethical way, like you know, big scale kind of urban development. So that becomes this very, very, very unusual network, and they have become a group of peers who are supporting each other both personally but also when it comes to these big questions of how does a um, city transform into the future and um, I, it reminds me of that um, that uh, that saying you know the strength of weak ties and um, I guess this is the strength of strong ties and we, let's see you know I think time will tell in terms of what um, you know what comes out of it um, and what gets me excited is that the more of these we do the more opportunity there is to cross-pollinate across these journeys. So if a place then becomes ripe and says, we're ready, we want to try some new stuff, and we've done, uh, you know, a journey with a group of people around food and agriculture or education or whatever it is, we can then start making these connections and the ideas can pollinate the places and the places can become the soil for the ideas to take root. And over time you start seeing, I think, something We, uh, you know, we call it a kind of mycelial network, like you start seeing something that's almost like its own ecology growing. And that that's what gets me excited. But we're at the very, very beginning of that. And I think there's, you know, we have far more to learn um, about what will work than we we have yet discovered in, you know, in all in all honesty.
0: Tell me where is the um, what's the website address?
1: So the website's address is www.newconstellations.co so just co and actually um, just one thing to add is uh this year uh we're going to run for the first time the equivalent of a kind of executive leadership program which will be open to anyone to apply to um that will uh be taking place in september and uh in the next month or so we there'll be um information on our website about that and how to apply so if any of your listeners are interested in that they can look that up excellent excellent
0: and how did you get into all of this i know you mentioned you're you're involved with uh, more in common who we will also have on the show as well uh i noticed you're on the advisory board of a political uh foundation we had lisa witter on the show uh a, a while back she is i'm a fan give us a little bit of insight into your your journey how did you end up where you are today
1: okay so whistle stop tour so i studied um politics philosophy and economics which is uh, still a big part of me you can understand that as a fellow philosopher um even though that's there's a huge stigma to that because obviously all the most hated politicians in our country all studied it so you never admit to that it's a terrible thing to admit to i then actually went into tv i i I thought i wanted to be a war correspondent but i realized i'm not brave enough but the um but i that's important because i i i do i do very much believe in the importance of storytelling and how you know we're a we're a species of storytellers um i then uh shifted into uh, in a roundabout way which i won't go into it but i i ended up working um in conflict and running an organisation called Crisis Action, um, the chair of our board was Nick Grono, who you've also had on the podcast. And when, in fact, we indeed know, you work with many organisations. I think you've also had on the pod- podcast. Um, so I think Mabel, who you've, you've also had the podcast, she was on the board. Um, Mabel, IC, van
0: Ur- Mabel van Orangi.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, you've had you've interviewed Comfort era haven't you? Uh, yes, who is one of her, uh, the partners of Crisis Action, but. What was interesting about cross action, and, and I count, you know, running cross action as one of the great priv- privileges of my life, um, was that it it understood as an organizational model that the way to influence things is is through collaboration with others and the choreography of quite complex coalitions and strategies, and that's a piece of you know I feel that's a kind of piece of my software that is um, uh, just the total integral part of me, and everything I've done since is you know, looking at kind of ways of um, of being in relationship with others to tackle big things rather than we're going to take this on and we're going to grow an enormous organisation. I feel that's like, you know, so old, so old school, so done. Um, I then uh, went to the US for a bit and um, uh, ran the kind of uh, campaigning or social purpose bit of um, Change.org. Uh, and um, that was an important experience for me because – Having done a lot of work on, you know, multinational decision making and the UN Security Council, and you know, all of those kind of po- kind of post World War II kind of apparatus of power, um, the really seeing what was happening in Silicon Valley and the the power of technology, and um, I didn't really understand it, if I'm honest, and and so I very much wanted to go dig much deeper and understand the logic of that as a in and of itself, but also as a system of new power. And while I was in California, I spent some time at Singularity University, which is a um, eccentric in its own way, but also deeply fascinating uh, manifestation of a lot of the culture there. And I'm I'm very grateful to have had that experience. And that really opened my eyes to the extent of the pace of exponential, exponential development of technology and um, understanding well, the penny dropping. Um, I think around that time, many of us, this was kind of pre-extinction rebellion, but I think a lot of the in, the in the the huge kind of weather events were really coming into the forefront of public consciousness. And I think that's for me is when the kind of penny truly dropped around the climate and ecological emergency. And I'm embarrassed and a bit ashamed it happened so late. You know, I, I, I kind of many of the people I know have spent their already spent their lives kind of dedicated to that. Um, and then obviously post-financial crisis we're also seeing the nature of our economic and financial systems and the fallout from that and so I think that was the the germination of understanding what we now call the polycrisis probably um and uh linked to that was um I'm as I'm sure you'll hear from um more in common but you know just the the personal tragedy well the tragedy of uh the murder of Joe Cox um who for um you know the many 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 hundreds of us who were close and adored her um was a was a huge thing um
0: shed light a little bit on who who joe cox was because not everybody would be familiar
1: yes you're quite right so um joe cox was a um an extraordinary woman um she had spent uh, much of her life um well, serving others in in many different and brave ways. She spent a lot of time working um, in, in leadership positions for Oxfam, for example, working across the world. Um, I think what people who knew Jo say and said of her is that she was such um, an extraordinary combination of um, somebody who, she was just this ball of like kind of kinetic energy. She was like, your physical experience of her was like, it was like kind of meeting a, like meeting a comet or something you know like it was just she was just so energetic so positive but also so smart and strategic and she had an ability to get people together and to get them doing you know crazy big stuff together um she became an MP um in her in the constituency in which she was born uh always a lifelong dream and she was lauded as a you know very effective community MP and I think many people thought she would go Incredibly far in, pol- in politics, and very tragically, in the run-up to the Brexit referendum, um, you know, in in the midst of all the of all the hate and the polarisation um, of that campaign, um, she was she was murdered in her constituency by a far-right extremist, um, and um, she left behind her two gorgeous young children, um, a husband, a daughter, um, and. Uh, a group of many many friends and many women in particular who had you know found in her somebody who was extraordinary and she continues to you know leave a enormous and gaping hole uh in the world and um but has has left a tremendous legacy i think the the extent to which she's touched on so many people's lives and continues to motivate so many people's actions is is amazing um and there were... um there were two organizations set up in her, in her memory or precipitated by her death. One was the Joe Cox foundation. Um, at some point you, might may, got them on um, and uh, more in common, uh, which uh, is an organization, which looks at polarization and, um, and what to do about that amazing organization. So yes, her, her legacy is manifold um, and she's much missed.
0: Before we wrap up and thank you for sharing that. Uh, before we wrap up, what's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode?
1: So the key takeaway that I would like people to take take away is that as much as this moment when we give ourselves the time to think about it truly and honestly is terrifying, and it should be. We can't think about it truly and deeply unless you know it it, it elicits that level of response, I think. It is also genuinely exciting. I think we have an opportunity to drop into a completely different understanding of what it means to be a human being, um, of our place on this beautiful home that we call planet Earth, of how lucky, how rare, how precious that is, and our responsibility not just to tinker with existing things, not just to be in reactive mode. And try and save our skins and get through but to use this as a wake-up call a kind of initiation process that enables us to meet this moment and to enable this time as hard as it feels now to be looked back on in the grand sweep of history as one of these crucible moments of new thinking and new ways of doing and yes we'll feel the growing pains and yes, we may not see the fruits of what is birthed in this moment in our lifetime, but it's happening. And I'd like to just leave people with an invitation to let themselves feel and appreciate that.
0: Excellent. I love it. We start with big thinking. We started the episode with big thinking and we're concluding with big thinking as well. And the key takeaway, never to disappoint. <laughs> Gemma, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Do One Better podcast. An absolute pleasure seeing you again, hosting you on the show, learning from you, being inspired and uh, and much appreciated. So thanks.
1: Likewise, Alberto. Thank you.
0: Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for joining us today. You've been listening to a great chat with Gemma Mortensen, founder and co-creator of New Constellations. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other interviews and case studies, with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at leiji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I iorg Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Very much enjoy producing today's episode for you,
1: and I'll catch you on Monday.